Y'all pray with me. Lord, with the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> so our gospel reading this morning is a continuation of a dialogue that actually began at the beginning of chapter 18, where the disciples asked Jesus a curious question. Who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, right away, Jesus reveals how different he and I are. Because his response is something like, humility will be the rule. Um, loving your neighbor well will be the rule. Having a childlike dependency. But if I were Jesus, I'd be like, I'll give you a hint. He's got two thumbs and could walk on water. No, Jesus says that greatness in the kingdom of heaven is defined by the radical care you have for those around you. So it's only in this context, it's only after that, that Peter asks, well, how many times should I forgive my neighbor? Seven times? This is being pretty liberal. You know, Peter's doing a decent job here. By the way, all week I've actually been wondering, what does Andrew think about Peter's question? Like, Peter's literal brother is right there. Come on, bro. Yes, I ate your leftovers. That was two Rosh Hashanahs ago. Get over it. You know? No commentators seem to dwell on that question, so I can't, I can't give you a sermon on that. But it has been plaguing me. But in all seriousness, we look at Peter's question... And it's obviously aimed at the broader context of brother, right? They've been talking about what it means in the kingdom of God for this family to come together and what, what is their rule of life together. And unless I'm mistaken, and we all know that that's a real possibility, Tori will tell you, unless I'm mistaken, Jesus' response goes directly back to a story of two very literal brothers of Cain and Abel. The account of these two brothers is found in the fourth chapter of Genesis. Um, and there, too, we have a struggle for greatness, right? Both brothers bring an offering before God, and yet Abel's offering is met with favor while Cain's is not. And so Cain stews on his rejection. Yet God tells him, hey, I'm not playing favorites here. If you brought an offering that was worthy, would I not also honor your offering? But beware, sin is crouching at your door. Unfortunately, Cain is not able to master this sin, and he stews and then he murders his brother. We can only speculate as to why he thought that God would not know, but we all know the famous answer that he gives when God confronts him. Am I my brother's keeper? How should I know 
where he is. But his blood cries from the ground. So what follows after in the life of Cain is actually what makes this connection to Jesus' response so obvious. God banishes Cain to wander restlessly away from his presence. Cain tells him, if you send me out into the rest of the world, they're surely going to kill me. His grievous sin has caused him to be deeply insecure. He knows how vulnerable he is because of how much he took advantage of his brother. And yet, God says, no. If anyone kills you, he will suffer vengeance seven times over um, this act. He will be avenged sevenfold. And so Cain goes out, but the chaos follows him. And only a few generations later, one of his descendants, Lamech, kills a young man in response for striking him. And the words out of Lamech's mouth are, if Cain is to be avenged sevenfold, Lamech will be avenged 77-fold. Lamech's vengeance is worth that much more than Cain's. Now, we don't know why Lamech was aware that somehow sin had been multiplying, but it's very clear that it was, they got it. They knew, even that early on, that sin was multiplying in the world and that his offense was more grievous than the first. That things were getting worse. It was spreading. So are you tracking with me? It seems that Jesus is saying here that just as wickedness spread out from Cain into the world through the generations, and the vengeance of God was multiplying over the growing injustice, all of that is being reversed in the kingdom of heaven. All of that is being reversed in the kingdom of heaven. Through Jesus, grace abounds or vengeance once festered. And so, when Jesus hears this question about greatness and about forgiveness in his disciples, he sees right through them. He gets to the root of it. Why do you want to be great? What are you afraid of? How do you think of yourself as you forgive? What do you think you're owed? The desire for greatness goes hand in hand with the sense of entitlement behind Peter's question on the extent of forgiveness. And both qualities must be rooted out in the kingdom. This, of course, is on full display in the parable that follows Jesus' reversal of the 77. A servant finds himself owing an insurmountable sum of money. I can't explain to you how much 10,000 talents is. It's like billions. It's a lot of money. And yet the king decides to lift the debt because he takes pity on his subject who is in way over his head. 
But this servant, having just been released of a great debt, turns around and crushes somebody who owes him just a tiny fraction of what he'd just been forgiven. It's like, bro, you just got a stimulus package. You can't buy me a cup of coffee, right? Like, it's crazy. It's, it's, I mean, and we've probably all been stingy with our money even when we had plenty, but, but think about it. It's, he basically just got billions of dollars put into his account. And he's not willing to forgive this little thing, but Jesus speaks hyperbolically, and we know that actually this is at the root of all of us. We're, we're all this selfish. We all have this tendency to hold on to what is ours, to what we think is ours. Well, this is, as we might say, not a very good look, right? So the other servants are like, hey, king, top dog, this is what, this is what your other servant just did. And of course, the king sweeps in and says, every penny is going to be demanded of you because you could not share that mercy that I showed you. I'm going to hold you accountable to everything that you owed. And Jesus warns us that this is how it works in the kingdom of heaven, that actually we have to forgive as we were forgiven. Right? I mean, we, we pray it every Sunday. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's conditional. God's love may be unconditional. And yet, there is a part of forgiveness that only works if we have the right disposition in ourselves. Forgiveness is something that is much more than letting someone get away with bad behavior because we're just that nice. Right? That's what's on display here. In Peter's mind, he says, how benevolent should I, Peter, the rock upon which you will found your church be? Right? He's saying, shouldn't, shouldn't we Christians in the kingdom be magnanimous towards one another so that all will see how wonderful it is to be around us mighty gracious people. And Jesus says, you are missing the point. Do you guys remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The lawyer, nice, the lawyer asks, hey, what must I do to get into heaven? Jesus says, you know the law, you tell me. And he justifies himself, yeah, 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 love God, love my neighbor. But who's my neighbor? But Jesus doesn't answer his question. He doesn't tell him who his neighbor is. He says, don't worry about who your neighbor is. Be a neighbor. You, you must be a neighbor. The, don't worry about what it means for who's a, who your surroundings are. You have to be neighborly. In the same way, what he tells Peter here is, don't worry about who you forgive. The point of the kingdom of God is that you have to recognize yourself as a thing forgiven. 
It has to be fundamental to who we are that we are forgiven. But you can't be forgiven unless you are very aware that you're an offender. Does that track? Are you all with me? We have to be painfully aware, actually, of the fact that we owe a great price. Forgiveness is recognition that we're not entitled to anything, but everything we think we're owed is actually due to the king. That's what made Abel's offering pleasing to God in the first place. He took the first and the best. He gave it all up. So now we get to the fun part where we have to ask ourselves some really tough questions. What does my forgiveness look like? Am I doing it at all? Am I a forgiving person or do I hold petty grudges? Be real. What do you do? Uh, do you just hold your tongue but hold resentment too? Pretty common, guilty of that. Am I secretly keeping score? Do you know how many more diapers you've changed? How many more times you've done the dishes? I don't know. The number is beyond count. No. Or maybe, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's that you're not keeping score of how much you do, but you're hoping that the other person does, right? Maybe it, it, if it's your spouse, maybe you're hoping that they will recognize how much more you do, and you don't want, you don't want them to, to do any more. You just want them to treat you different for how much you've done. Do you feel owed that? We do that in our friendships, too. You know, how much can I, have I gone out of my way for you? Will you please be there for me? Can we make this a commodity? Right? All of that is built on an insecurity. It's built on an idea that we're unsafe and we have to do whatever is in our power to put people in our debt so that they will protect us in our moments of vulnerability. This is not the rule in the kingdom of heaven. If any of that applies to you as much as it does to me, then hear the warning that God gave to Cain before he killed his brother. Sin is crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And all of you good Christians are saying, but Michael, how could I rule over it? I can't. I'm no better than Cain. And that's absolutely true. I could give you seven more sermons, 77 times as clear as this sermon, which we have to assume that that's working in the positive. If this is negative clarity, then the metaphor breaks down. 
but it would still not do a lick of good in getting any of us closer to the kingdom of God. Because my goal is not to tell you to do better, be better. Jesus' goal was not to tell you that you can improve yourself. You must be forgiven. And the forgiveness that you experience from God, the power of the Holy Spirit that comes through the work of Jesus Christ is the only way that any of us have any shot at forgiveness. It is the only way. You cannot get a grip on this yourself. We will only dissolve into spirals of self-righteousness and fear and loathing if you're trying to do this on your own. But we have to come humbly before our king and say, I need you, Holy Spirit, to teach me to see myself, and I need your power working through me, the new life that is given through the resurrected Son of God. I need that life and that love to take over the death and the debt in me. If you are not prayerfully seeking the Spirit as you forgive, you're probably not rooting out your own entitlement or fully handing it over to God. Before I close, I want to clarify that this is not easy. Okay, some hurts are really deep. Some people have been through trauma. There's been abuse. I'm not saying that everybody deserves forgiveness. Far from it. Okay? Some forgiveness is years away in your heart. That's the reality. Some forgiveness is, is way away. You can't just, you're not just going to claim the name of Jesus and, and it goes away. We are incarnate people. He works in us over time. This is a process, but I want to encourage you. Jesus wants to walk with you through that pain. You will be able to surrender it eventually, but sometimes you need to heal first, and that is okay. It is okay. It's not holding on to a grudge to say that you don't yet have the strength to lift the hurt off of you. But turn to Christ. We can all plead with God to remind us how much we need forgiveness and to daily show us how great our forgiveness is. We have been forgiven much. And the more that we, by the power of the Spirit, are able to perceive ourselves that way, the more freedom we'll get from this, the bonds that we have to the debts that we feel like we're owed. The more that we are washed and know who we are as forgiven, the easier it will be to move forward in this world in love such that we don't feel a debt to anyone. The richer you'll find your marriage and your friendships because nobody owes you anything. 
but you can move forward trusting in the true strength of God to move you rather than building up a kingdom for yourself based on what is owed to you. Let me close with this poem. For sin was crouching at the door. It struck its venom seeping through till Abel's blood cried from the ground. The voice said, Cain, and me and you. And venomed vengeance spread its rot till all the world was in decay when Christ the curse cure came to cleanse and wash all sinners' debts away. His blood is calling from the tree, inviting, solemn, clear, and true. The fangs of fear and pride are crushed. Behold, I'm making all things new. Surrender all your debt to me. For freedom's sake, you've been set free. Amen.